I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go to support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Hello, Judy, and welcome back to another edition of Miracle Voices. How are you doing? Oh, thanks, Matt. I'm really delighted and excited today to be talking with our guest. Yes, our guest today is Rabbi Richard Rocklin. Rabbi Richard, how are you doing? Well, I'm equally excited to be with you and Judith. Uh, This is a wonderful opportunity to fall in love again with The Course in Miracles, so thank you. Oh, yes. Well, you kind of have an interesting story. I got a little tidbit before we hit the record button, but maybe you can introduce us to your early life and then how the Course came into your life. Okay, thank you. I will. At the age of seven years old, I was asked to cash a check for a lady and I was, uh, and they were not able to do so. So I was sent across the street to a, uh, a filling station. I was hit by a car as I was crossing and uh, it was a serious accident and I remained unresponsive for some 58 hours. The doctor who had done all he could as a result of his medical training suggested to my parents, go to the synagogue pray for his life. My God, my life was totally in his hands. At the age of 12, five years later, I was then driving with a friend who said, Richard, because of your automobile accident and God saving you, you should become a rabbi. Well, I was convinced this was to be my path of life. I had the privilege of studying at the Jewish Theological Seminary of America in New York City. I did so for five years. Previously to that, I had completed my degree in philosophy and speech uh, from the University of Minnesota. I'm from Duluth, Minnesota. I had the blessing to serve for 40 years in the active rabbinate, three congregations. I was in Nyack, New York for just three years, Charlotte, North Carolina for the next 15 years, Lake Worth, Florida, for the next 23 years. So as a result of my seminary studies, and as a result of my being in the act of rabbinate, at that time, Matt and Judith, I understood God to be highly punitive to those who did not fulfill his commandments, to those who did not heed his word. And numerous times in the Hebrew Testament, I read and were taught, you shall surely be cut off from amongst your people, or you shall surely die. So I understood God was extremely vengeful. God was exacting of punishment. So approximately into my 20th year of service, I purchased the short text, lots of pictures, Love is Letting Go of Fear by Gerald Zampolsky. I read and I reread the short text And somehow I felt and believed intuitively I was being led to A Course in Miracles. And uh, that's my early beginning, Matt. That's how it started. 
I was enthralled by the text. I was confused by the text, highly confused. I didn't understand the words, my dog means nothing, or I've, my book means nothing, or I've created all the information about that text that I have. I didn't understand these words at all, but I was persistent. I kept on reading and rereading. And when the course started to hit me, it took a long, lot of years, but somehow it really struck me as something more than beautiful, something so inspiring that I decided I was going to take this step further and really understand that I am the source of my information, that God is always present because he's the love that I feel. And so I knew that people at that time were in my congregation were either asking for my help or giving out love. And it became such a powerful message to me. I have so many instances where I could just relate what happened to me. If you don't mind, I'm going to tell you just a quick, uh, quick something that occurred. Sure. There was a member of my synagogue who was very well known in the United Synagogue of America. And he used to come up to me almost every week and say, Rabbi, why can't you do it like this? And what I would say to him was, you know, Harold, that's a very good idea. Let me think about it. Instead of getting into a challenge with him. <laughs> so Richard, it, it seems worked. to me, it seems to me uh-huh. that that looking at, at the greater plan, if I can even presume to do so for someone else, but I do know right. that there is a greater plan, that all the steps you've enumerated so far were very, uh-huh. very definitely leading you to something that we were ready for for the rest of your life. But the one thing that I wanted to ask you about this is I remember when we first met on the telephone that you told me that you had early conversations with Bill Thetford, who was co-scribe of the course. How did that happen? Well, I had once written a letter to him many years before he called me to tell him ask him some questions and tell him how much I love the Course in Miracles. And he took a look at this letter. And one day, it's a shock to me, Judith, he called me and said, Richard, this is Bill. And I was so impressed with that because he then explained to me he was Bill Thetford, the one who took the words from Helen and put them onto text. I was so enthralled that he didn't say this is Professor Thetford or this is Dr. Thetford, plain Bill, this is Bill. So we didn't have a lengthy conversation, but from that point on, I was so impressed with the fact that I received a call from one of the two people that were so instrumental in bringing this course. It was a great moment, moment, Judith, in my life. You know, I look back on that, and not that I knew every moment of Bill's life, but we not only live near each other, we saw each other every day. So I don't even know what year that was before <laughs> we moved to California or not. My assumption is it's after 1978, but not too much after. Uh, you, you know, you were hooked in a long time ago. And although Bill did speak to quite a few people, I was when you told me the story, I was sort of surprised that I didn't know uh, that he had spoken to you because, after all, he certainly knew that I was Jewish. 
and that I had yeah. been struggling with the Course in the beginning because I felt it was the opposite of what I had been taught in Hebrew school for so many years and the opposite of what right. my father believed. Of course, it turned out not to be the opposite at all. I was just looking in mm. the wrong place. But I'm just so yeah. glad that you had a chance to know him and his authenticity, his kindness, and his humility. And so am I. Uh, so impressed. And I must say that you, when you said you had difficulty in the beginning, Judith, not only did I have difficulty, but I would contend that you and I are indeed brother and sisters beyond the love level of the Course, because I was such a mess when it came to studying the Course initially. I didn't understand what it was being said, what was being taught. So I not only had the privilege of speaking with him, but we had Gerald Jampolsky as a speaker come to our synagogue. And uh, I went out for breakfast with him. And so that was a joyous occasion as well. So two people, and now the third, namely Judith Whitson, <laughs> or Judith Scotch, <laughs> is my third partner in this wonderful adventure. Yes. Well, there are no accidents, right? Right, right. This happened to me, and at a perfect time in my life, when I was needing it, I must say, when I first started in the rabbinate, I was so poor at it. I didn't know what I was doing. I constantly wanted to be right rather than happy. So I'd always engage in these dialogues with people, explaining to them how they were wrong. It got me nowhere. I felt depressed, and I certainly knew that I laid a lot of guilt on them. So it was never a good beginning for me. So when I say the, that when I read his little book, my life began to change. Up until that point, I was one of those ego-based human beings who only thought of what this would do for me and not what I could give to others that eventually would be done back to me, of course. So in essence, I'm really suggesting that this changed my life, and that was in the 20th year of my rabbinate. So I'd been a rabbi for a, a period of time, but I had no knowledge of the course, I had certainly lots of knowledge of my ego because I was in it. <laughs> you know, there, there comes a time, I think, when studying A Course in Miracles, what, that we actually realize what we have been in thought, how we have been conducting our lives through what you might call your ego voice or some people call it their lower voice, uh, the one that's self-serving and the one that doesn't want to extend. And the Course tells us that we made the ego as a separating mm -hmm. device, and mm -hmm. we made the ego in order to forget God, not to remember God. So I can totally understand when people tell me and you tell me, and I tell myself from my memory of when I first started studying the Course, how resistant we would be to its message. Uh, it's only when you start to really practice, study and practice it that you realize that you get results in a different way, such as when you started just extending love to people rather than wanting to be right yourself. That's right, exactly. I mean, I've had many occasions in my life to turn away my thinking, turn them around, and not only in the rabbinate, but with my individual family. So I'm just, I walk in gratitude, Judith and Matthew. I just think to myself how blessed I am 
that I can have this as a part of my life and understand my task in life is to forgive myself for all the things that this ego is creating. That's and a I'm lot. going to continue with the service, yes. Yeah, it makes you happier and happier. I know that uh, many people, and I certainly, when I was younger, held this thought that you don't really grow when you're older. You sort of come to a place when you're old and you're static. And I have to remind myself, not only do I not believe that, but one day Jerry Jampolsky was visiting with me and the last three years of his life, we spent every Thursday together. We had started together and we had started the course together because I shared it with him as my good friend as soon as I got the manuscript, way before it was published. And Mm -hmm. we used to do it every day, long distance on the phone. He lived in California. I lived in New York City. So we were study partners from the very beginning. In fact, Helen and Bill said that we were the first two study partners. And I said, no, no, you guys, you, Helen and Bill, were the first study partners. And they laughed at us. And they said, you've come along, Jerry and I, much further than we have, because they did Mm -hmm. not have a loving and complete relationship all the time. Although when they, then when we worked on the course together, when we studied the course together, they were unusually loving and different to each other than when we were not. So you could see the difference, but in any event, so Jerry was at my house visiting with me, uh, finishing up in a way, our partnership and the study of the course, because, you know, now I'm 90 and he was then 96 And uh, it was a few years before he died. And as we were sitting, having lunch together, someone dropped in. I didn't expect. And she knew Jerry, but not well. And he was totally blind at the time. So we didn't know who was there and a little bit disgruntled to interrupt our conversation. And she Mm -hmm. said, Jerry, you know, how are you? And she introduced herself and she said, how have you been doing? And she Mm. met his health, and and he looked at her, even though he didn't see her with the Z set, his body eyes, and he said, still learning. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I love that. It's 96 years old. beautiful part. Still learning. But I hold that up for myself, because when things aren't going Uh perfectly or I'm judging again, I have to remember, okay, don't be so hard on yourself. You're still learning. Let's go back to square one right now. And it's called love. Right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I certainly am still learning. I have just that sense inside of me that I need so much to learn. And that's why I've called you on the phone, because I thought you were such a teacher to me. Listen, I must tell you personally, I'm delighted to do this podcast knowing you're with me right now. It's beautiful. That is so kind. Thank you. But, you know, I feel the same way. I think I think somehow or other in the infinite yeah. wisdom that we have been blessed with a friendship that is so right. pure spirit and so mm-hmm. completely supportive in every way. We have no past that we have to worry about and we have nothing right. to nothing mm-hmm. to forgive. And oh, mm-hmm. my That's goodness, right. what a blessing that is. Yeah. Matt, yeah. do you have relationships like that? Yes, yes. And you I know do. what it feels like. Yes, I do. I'm I'm really curious, Rabbi Richard. You know, you mentioned that, you know, you had this idea of a punishing God, and then the course comes in 
and you've recognized you're living in this world of illusions. How did you recognize this? Cause you're kind of brought up, you're trained. And then this book is telling you something entirely different than what you were trained for and really is a striking contrast to, you know, some of the Jewish texts. Right. Well, I'll tell you, Matt, uh, I realized that when I kept kosher or observed the Sabbath, I'm only doing ritual, but somehow it didn't touch my heart. I wasn't really feeling deeply that this was really genuinely important. Now, I keep these traditions only because it's my way of life, but I could never conceive of them being my religion. My religion is only love and kindness, and that's what I want to project out, and that's what I receive. So it was, it had, it took a long time, Matt, you know, before I came to the, realize that I'm living in a world that I'm creating and I'm living in a world that has very little meaning, but the word love has ultimate meaning. And, you know, I'm so blessed that this has happened in my life. I, I feel it so deeply. It's just so important to me, uh, have taught the course. I might even tell you something my congregation doesn't know. I used to preach or lead services. I led them uh, at least three times a week, four times a week. And I got tired of the prayers that I was reading because they were always talking about praising God or being aware of God, being fearful of God, must fulfill his commandments. I used to take the Course of Miracles little cards and that that you sent me, Judith, I once had my own set. I put them on the pulpit as I was praying and read them instead. So my congregation, I hope they're not listening to hear this because I did it for 40 years. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something quickly. You are not the yeah. only rabbi who's told me this. And it wouldn't right. be the yeah. only priest who's told me this either. Uh, right. Luckily, luckily, many people do write to us, and it's wonderful to be yeah. able to be connected all over the world. But uh, often yeah. people think that they're very much alone, and this is their quiet secret. When in mm -hmm. truth, a lot of people are doing exactly the same thing. You know, I have a, I have a service on Friday night by Zoom with my family all over the country, and I teach the course because whatever I'm quoting in Judaism, I'm only talking about its kindness or its love. I'm never talking about are you a believer or are you aware of how important it is that you fulfill all the commandments. I never would say those things. I never would suggest to myself that it's important for me to, to tell them, you know, you must keep kosher or you must observe the Sabbath in order to send some guilt upon them. But I could surely, surely say that uh, some of the stories I've learned in Judaism are profound, just profound. Can I just give you one, one quick one? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. There's a story of a man who was not Jewish who wanted to convert. He went to the house of Shammai, one of the schools, and he asked Shammai, teach me your whole tradition as I stand on one foot. So Shammai took a stick and knocked him out of the house. How could he possibly sum up Judaism in one sentence or in a brief moment? So he went to the house of Hillel, a very saintly rabbi at those days, and he said, Hillel, teach me your whole tradition as I stand on one foot. Hillel said, okay. And then he said in Hebrew, 
That which is hateful in your own eyes, never do to your friend. Just give him love. And then I realized, what a beautiful thought. Hillel ended by saying, this is the whole Torah. This is the whole tradition. Go and study this, practice this, and you've done everything Judaism requires. That, that a wonderful is story? A lovely yeah. story. But, you know, it reminds me a little bit of a man I met uh, not all that long ago, but it's been quite a few months now that I talk to every once in a while whose name happens to be Richard Racklin. And when I oh, first talked wonderful. to him and yeah. you said to me that your religion was love, I gasped because mm-hmm. there was something so significant that this came out of you, a person who was uh, a hero, a leader in my tradition, and mm-hmm. whom I always wanted to respect and see that way. But you were the mm-hmm. first rabbi who ever said to me that his religion was love, and I thought, oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. Yeah, how wonderful. Thank you for saying that, yes. Well, it's... Uh... Now, if you give me that compliment, Judith, listen to how blessed I feel that I had those conversations with you. And listen, to the whoever is listening to this at this time, we have never met, but we have met, haven't we? Oh, We're one certainly. spirit, both of us. Yeah. Exactly. So we, we know each other so well, yet I've never been in your presence. Uh, we've never spent time together, but we really have. And that's how, you know, that's how wonderful this course is made at the, for me to uh, feel. I'm deeply connected to Matt. I don't know Matt. I don't know you at all. I've never seen you. But my task in, is only to love you. And that's the only real re, re, way I'll get it back, is by giving it out. So thank you, Matt. Oh, of course. Re- Rabbi Richard, over the decades, you've probably had a lot of people in your congregation come to you and with relationship problems, resentments, and guilt. And uh, how do you, how do you help them with those issues? I'm, I'm keenly interested in this because I, you know, I still feel resentments and guilt come up in my life and I, I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> well, I must tell you something. I have a degree in guidance and counseling. I never thought I was a good counselor, but I was an excellent listener. I'll never forget when the first person who ever came to me for guidance, she talked and talked and talked. And I went home to my wife because she said at the end of the conversation, Rabbi, I got so much out of this. Now, I didn't say a word, (laughs) but I listened and I realized that's what she needed. And, you know, but I didn't know it at the time. I just listened. She spilled her heart out by me listening to her carefully was really me giving her the love that she was asking for. So I've had many people come up to me with problems. Let me say to you, my problem, Matt, my problem, and I think everybody's problem, perhaps clergymen in general, we are giving such an enormous amount of love that what we do is we get our source of love outside of ourselves, not knowing that it's ours to project So you get these nice letters and you get these contributions and you get such beautiful attitudes of the congregation toward you. But that didn't feel good because in the end, that meant very little. But when I knew I was giving it, 
all of a sudden it felt better. It felt better. So anybody who came to see me, why make them wrong? You know, I affirmed them. I affirmed some of their problems they were going on in their life. And they were happy knowing they weren't such bad people. And none of them were. They were all very loving souls, though they didn't know it at the time. <laughs> Listening to them I'm, then became, in a way, we would say, a cure. And uh, psychotherapy, of course, tells us over and over again, the reason we have psychotherapy and psychotherapists and go to them is for helping us guide our affirmation of ourselves but I would say our higher selves. When I first read right. this section, which doesn't appear in A Course in Miracles per se, but is mm -hmm. a separate pamphlet that we put out that Helen had taken down after the course and now appears in the course itself just because mm -hmm. we decided to put all her writings together, but it's called mm -hmm. Psychotherapy, Purpose, Pro Pro Process, and Practice. And right. uh, one of the things that most touched me about it is uh everyone everyone is a psychotherapist we all help right. someone else by listening to them but right. sometimes we need professional help which is perfectly fine but the way professional help is given can be very very varied as you've noticed and you you attested to however mm -hmm. when the holy spirit is called upon in whatever name is agreed. It could be God. It could be the Holy Spirit. It could be a higher self. Uh, it could be Jesus. It could be anything that denotes mm -hmm. higher consciousness. When that right. is the third participant in the relationship between patient and psychotherapist, it works. Right. Right. And I no, think subconsciously, you when you're treating people with love, capital L, mm -hmm. that is what you've been doing. You've been calling in your higher self, the Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKadosh, Shechina, either one of them right. in Hebrew, to be with you. And right. uh, I, that's the only kind you know, of person I would go to for help is be a person who who with me would remind me of what I am, who I am, and who uh -huh. God is. You know, there are two thoughts I have in the base of what you're saying, Judith. And I, in the Jewish tradition, we say, who is a wise man? And the answer is, he who learns from everybody. Because everybody out there was my teacher, and I didn't know it at one time. But I realized that they're all teaching me. If they're bringing up something in me, they've taught me something. Because I now know I can forgive myself. But I never knew those beautiful thoughts you know, prior to finding the course. And another thing I'd just like to suggest as a rabbi and as a Jew, I have no problem whatsoever at all with saying Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Because when the course taught me that he's actual, of which I'm only potential, that was fabulous. Someday, you know, or some lifetime, I can become actual. Yeah. That's Listen, I want to ask you a personal question right now. Am I doing all right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Matthew answer that. <laughs> you could, if you want to stand on one foot, well, that's the only thing that would make it better. 
You're doing great. You're doing great, Rabbi Richard. Oh, good. Thank you. I was, I was kind of worried about that. <laughs> there it is, the ego. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't screw up. Can't there screw goes up. the ego. You're right. Yeah, yeah. There now, goes my ego but, again. But one of the things uh, Matt and I like to do in these conversations is ask mm-hmm. the person we are with whether he or she has had any uh, what I would call noticeable forgiveness issues in his or her life where someone against whom we held a grievance and we recognize we held a grievance for a long time because of the course and what you've learned was able to shift your perception from thank you for asking that judith yeah i'm glad that you asked me that because i do have something definite in my heart as a young person Growing up in my family, it was a very dysfunctional family. Uh, My father only attained up to the seventh grade. He had to work. So he was a very rough and gruff man. And he took it out upon me and my mother. I mean, I used to get, when he came home, I would be frightened because I knew there's a possibility that he would hit me. And oftentimes he did. If I didn't work in his store, which I disliked intensely. So there was a time in my life when I grew so, he became so distasteful to me. I, I can even the word, use the word strongly dislike. And uh, there was a time that I felt I, I should really fight back. I should really hit him back. And uh, thank God I didn't. But nonetheless, that I had that terrible, terrible attitude towards him. And then later on, not even knowing the course, I realized this was a really special man, a really good man. And we ended up with the most magnificent relationship once I learned forgiveness. And we used to take a trip once a year and we played a lot of bridge together and we had a lot of fun together. We laughed. We had such a joyous time. Totally the opposite of my brain by being brought up by him. But it was only because I learned to look at him differently. I saw this is really a good man. And so the course was invaluable to me. I love my father. When I think of him, though he's not living, I just think how wonderful he was as a human being and how blessed I was to have him as a father. Whereas growing up, I thought just the opposite. So along came forgiveness, and here I am today. That is and such I, a beautiful story. And I don't want to interrupt you. you. I just burst out. Sorry. You continue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it taught me how to be a father to my children, you know, because I I realized what's the one thing they needed most. And I realized only my love, you know, my being punitive to them in any way, you know, obviously telling the right direction. But, you know, I wanted to love them. And that's all I did is love them. And today I'm happy with my relationship with my children and grandchildren. But I don't know if I would have been so nice if it wouldn't have been for the course, because I would have carried, you know, ill feelings from my father and perhaps taken it on them. But now I can sense just a personal relationship with them that's healthy and that's broadening. I feel better. My spirit feels better. And they love it. They're, they're comfortable with me. They can say whatever they want to me. And it makes for something wholesome. But I... If I didn't have the course, Judith and Matt, 
I wouldn't be this way. I would have been as my father. I would have fulfilled the feelings that I had at that time for him. But he turned out in my mind a great man. You know, my dad used to walk down the streets and everybody would say, hi, Rocky, because my last name's Rockman. And I was so happy to be with him uh, later on in life. But not when I was growing up. You know, I changed totally because of this great text. But what, 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 and, you know, I, what got me so excited? I, th- I can't, I can't be shut up right now <laughs> because I'm going to forget. I'm going to forget what I wanted <laughs> okay. to say. What got me so excited is you're the first person I think that we've had on our podcast who has said that the knowledge of forgiveness came to him before the course. And I love that mm-hmm. because I'm sure it's happened to many, many other people. They sort of knew what it was, but they didn't give particular words because they hadn't read it in words, but intuitively they knew it. They were already in touch with that part of themselves. That part of themselves had gotten through to them. The course talks about forgiveness constantly through. I think there are 670 odd references to the course, uh, to forgiveness throughout the course. But one one thought that I remember the best, and I'm going to paraphrase it, not quote it directly, but it says forgiveness is a quiet thing. It stands silently by and it waits to be invited in. You must have invited mm-hmm. forgiveness in. You didn't yeah. need for us to do it for you because you already had such a, a, a rich history of being prepared for your role. And I think, well, thank that, you. again, that has happened probably to many others. And we've never touched upon that before. And I'm thrilled, no. I'm thrilled to hear it. Thank you. I'm sorry I interrupted, but I'm thrilled to hear oh, it. Oh, I don't want you to feel sorry because I, listen, a rabbi talks too much, you know, or I was talking. So <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I, so. I go on and on and on, you know. <laughs> but, but you but, listen you know, beautifully. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, that's more important, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's an equal exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you, okay. I understand. But you give out a lot of love when you're listening to somebody. You certainly, you know, you're, they're being heard at least, you know, this Harold that I spoke about, I wouldn't give this last name on the podcast, but this Harold I spoke about, you know, needed somebody to listen to him. You know, he was so convinced he was right that I would not have gotten into a conversation with him. I must say that I never once spoke politics from the pulpit in 40 years. And I said, I know I did the right thing. First of all, I don't know anything. And second of all, who am I talking to? I'm talking to people that have a different viewpoint than I. I'm not going to make them wrong by convincing them of something. So I learned to listen to their point of view. And that was a great benefit in the rabbinate. I'll tell you something that was a great benefit to me in the rabbinate is they never wanted me to come to a board meeting or a congregation meeting. They said, you can't come because they thought I'd dominate it. They didn't know they were giving me the greatest gift in the world because I wasn't <laughs> political. <laughs> so <laughs> wouldn't have helped them at all. <laughs> you know, it reminds you know, me of something that I haven't thought of in years. Uh, My mother and father had very different temperaments. My father was very outgoing and he spoke his mind. He was a lawyer and he was used to using words. My mother was not shy in the sense that she couldn't face people, 
but one would think of her as, as very peaceful and mild. And when she died, the people who came to her funeral as varied from family members to the butcher who loved her and the postman who used to stop by to talk with her in the morning. And I once asked them uh, how, you know, they, they perceived my mother because I realized they all had relationships with her. And they said, mm -hmm. oh, she is so wonderful. She listens. To oh, me. I bet she is, was. She yes. was a listener. Uh -huh. She really Good. was. I was very yeah. lucky. Mm. Rabbi oh, that's Richard, a blessing. Rabbi Richard, yes, did, please. did you, uh, did you have a formal forgiveness with your father where you acknowledged, you know, the kind of violence and hitting, yes. or was it something in your mind that you forgave? How, how did that process unfold? No, I said to him, do you recall when I was young, how, how abusive you were to me? And he would always deny it. So instead of getting into a long debate with him, I just let it pass. But I used to tell him constantly, constantly how much I loved him. I, you know, I could say to him, you know, what you were in the past. However, it always ended up with, I really love you. And I really put that in my heart towards you. And I'm so proud that I had a dad like him. I'm so proud of what he taught me. So it was easy for me to say, and it's easy for me to say right now how much I love my parents and how dear they are. You know, I live in a senior citizen, uh, independent living, assisted living place. And there's always conflicts going on with people. Matt and Judith, I'm not patting myself on the back at all right now because this is only from the course. But from the last, for the last 20 years, I have made it my business not to say one ill word about another human being. Now, that's helped me enormously. So they know when they talk to me about something or somebody, I'm not going to say answer that. Now, instead of trying to convince them otherwise, that's their viewpoint. That's the way they feel. But it's an, to me, it was always an act of love. But to my father, it was easy to love him. The more I grew up and the more I, I realized that uh, his gift to me was allowing me to see my anger, you know, and I saw it. And I was able to just kind of let it go and not talk negatively about others. Is that too long of an answer, Matt? No, 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 no. I go on and on, you know. It's not only not too long of an answer, but I was thinking as you were speaking, uh, no. the principles of forgiveness. First of all, letting go of the past is the most important. Being willing to forgive, change your mind. Right. That, of course, is the crux right. of it. Uh, but letting mm -hmm. go of the past goes right along with it, because how can forgiveness be possible when you're holding on to something called the past, which never really happened. And we right. think it happened. We believe it happened, but that's only the <clears throat> ego part of us. That's not what mm -hmm. we call our higher mind, higher thinking, the Holy Spirit, God. Hmm. Letting go of the so, you past know, I think, is integral. Yeah. I think you've got it, Judy. You know, I'm still in the stage of learning. So deeply in the stage of learning, I'm finding the past not meaningful at all, but it's taking so much effort for me to just totally let go of anything that happened before and learn to understand the present is what I have and to give away the, what the Course is saying. 
you know, love is a powerful word, isn't it? Because we misuse it so much. We love ice cream. We love our cars. You know, we love our dogs, etc. But that's not real love. I mean, real love is when we present ourselves loving to to somebody else. And in essence, we, it's the only way to get it back. I mean, can I share what I shared with you once, Judith, about what happened to me when I was, after a heart attack I had? Please, yes. Okay, when I was 32 years old, Matt, I had a major heart attack, of which uh, I was uh, close to death. But meanwhile, they gave me a test later on that uh, was designed to show how bad my heart was. During that test, the following three things happened to me. Number one, I stopped breathing. Number two, my heart wasn't beating. And number three, my kidneys weren't functioning. So for all purposes, I was not in very good shape. Not at all. But when that happened to me, I had the most overwhelming sense of peace come over me. A peace I never knew before then, have never known since then. So it's, I can understand when the course say that death isn't real. It doesn't happen. It never happens. So, or I can understand how, because of that experience, that I was being connected to something much greater than myself. Even though I said my body was dying or didn't think it at the time, because if they'd have said that to me at the time, uh, you know, if I had said to them, Rabbi, we're about to cut off your finger, I would have said, sure, why not? I didn't know I wasn't a body at that moment, but I certainly felt like I was just connected to something more powerful and had this overwhelming sense of love come over me. So I say, even now, when I say I practice forgiveness, or even now when I give out love, I don't know what that word really means because it's so much deeper than anything that I'm experiencing. I, when I say I love uh, my car or something, it's much different. Even so when I say I love my children, I adore them. But that kind of love is, that I have from the Course is much different. I haven't reached that stage yet. You know, I'm working at it. I was going to answer again. That, I think you've reached that stage in your experiences. <laughs> I think not consistently. Goodness knows I have not reached it consistently at all. And right, I'm me either. always practicing, practicing, learning. Every day I have right. a few things that happen that I say I'd like to redo that. So I redo it in my own mind. There are things mm. that I, I come across and I say, oh, my God, this is never going to be healed. It doesn't matter how <laughs> I am or how long. And then I oh, did I ask for help? No. Go back, ask for help. What I do is before I go to sleep at night, if I have a particular problem, I turn it over to the Holy Spirit and I say, I've done the best I can on this now. I need your help. Would you please help me while I'm sleeping? And I wake up feeling fine. (laughs) It's gone away. Beautiful. Oh, you know, you find your own little shortcuts, as you said, uh, that you and and stick with those shortcuts because they show you that they do indeed help. But coming back to it, the one the one thing that we absolutely must remember and go to, and a lot of the times we just don't, is that we uh-huh. are not in charge and we want our higher self, the Holy Spirit, 
Jesus, God, to be in charge. We want that part of us, that part of us that is the only real part to be in charge. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, that is when the situation changes. Yeah. You know, uh, I'd like to share something to show you that I, I still have this major ego. It happened this morning. I was reading something and all of a sudden I received a telephone call from a scam person who's called me maybe 20 times in the past. He's so convinced that he has the right kind of Medicare to give me. <laughs> and uh, you can hear people in the background talking, etc. So this time I said to him, in not a nice way, I said, you know, it's not nice what you're doing to keep on calling me. It's not nice that you're perhaps fooling people. I got off the phone, Judith, and I felt terrible. You know, I just felt terrible. I could have said it in such a nice way. I could have said it in such a loving way. But somehow I could feel still that anger inside of me. I had to tell him this. So uh, when you say you're still learning, you, well, I, I'm right there next to you. Now I know why you're my sister. <laughs> well, we'll hold hands, all of us learning together. <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah, right. Uh. Well, this, is, this has been a great episode. Uh, so many stories you have here, Rabbi Richard, and I have a feeling you have a lot more, but I wanted to see yeah. if there is anything else, Judy, you wanted to share or comments or questions or you, Rabbi Richard, before we close. I, okay. I think I would like to say to be continued. <laughs> okay. To oh, be that's continued. good. That's great. To be continued is great. I appreciate that. Yes. Well, anyway, I have only this to say, Matthew, you have the most wonderful sounding voice. It's so peaceful to me. It just really touched me. And the fact that this morning you were so patient with me, I didn't know what I was doing, but you kept on gently pushing me along. So I say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being the way you are and for extending the love that you did. And to you, Judith, how can I say differently that I've talked to my children. Do you know who I spoke with today? I spoke with Judith Scutch. Do you know what I'm doing tomorrow? I'm doing a podcast with Judith Scutch. Now that, I said it was such feeling, you know, to let them know how important this was to me. So thank you for being my teacher. And you're a great one. Thank you for being mine and also my friend. Oh and boy. That this nice. has been what such is fun. <laughs> has it? For me, it has been joyous. <laughs> so oh, we, close, we close on that, right, Matt? We close yes. on joy. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Rabbi Richard, for your miracle voice. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to connecting with you again soon. Oh, please do. Please do. And I send my, I send my love with all my heart to both of you. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Nothing else.